The following audio is from the Grove Church. To find out more about our church or to check out previous messages, go to our website at grove.church. Hey, good morning, everybody. Glad you're here. We are jumping into part two of part seven. So if that's not confusing, I don't know what is, but... uh, We're in a series called Off the Rails, and we're taking on the seven churches of Revelation, talking about some of the challenges, warnings towards them. And uh, we're at the end of chapter two of Revelation, uh, looking at the church at Thyatira. We talked last week about this. We'll jump into it here in a second. But a couple things I want to mention. First of all, it was on the video, but back to school bash being this Thursday. If you're able to do some school supplies but haven't done that yet, we'd love for you to swing over to the store, grab some things, bring them back. The list has definitely shrunk over the last few weeks, but there's still a few things we could use. And if you haven't volunteered, but you're able to on Thursday, there's the setup stuff on Thursday. The event itself is from four to eight, and then there's the teardown. And if you're able to work any of those at all, we'd love your help. You can go to grove.church, click on events, sign up and help out. And then of course, you probably saw in the news what happened in, in Hawaii, Lahaina, and just how quickly the fire spread and all that pretty devastating. Um, we have some connections to a couple churches there and we're helping out. I do want to say this. Uh, I know we say this phrase a bunch or, or refer to things this way, but because of our generosity together, because of your generosity, we were able to give $4,000 to a couple churches there and to help out with what's going on. Um, yeah, so... I want to say thank you for that because we're able to do it because of everybody being a part of, of giving and continue to pray for them. We'll, we'll continue to work on our connections and, and kind of hear how things are going and how we can be prayerful. Obviously, Convoy of Hope is part of, you know, helping out there. There's other organizations, but pretty, uh, pretty devastating, especially if some, I know some of us in the church have some family there and uh, some connections to the churches there as well. But uh, just keep praying for that. Um, back to, to Revelation 2, we're taking on Thyatira. And why we say off the rails is because the warning for the churches is, hey, Hey, the train's leaning. Uh, you need to get back on the rails. Be careful. Slow down. Whatever. And um, Thyatira, in particular, though, is one that isn't off the rail or isn't like leaning. It's like off the rails. It's like off bad. And, and that's why at the beginning of what you read about in Revelation two, there about the church, it's impending judgment. You have basically it says you've entertained this woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet. And so the idea was there's a, a woman there teaching some things that aren't healthy, and they're not only learning them but walking those things out, which is leading to idolatry and sexual immorality. And so last week we dove into the conversation about idolatry and sexual immorality. We mentioned it was PG-13 a bit. Today, probably the same thing. I I said I I came up here with 10 pages last week. I don't ever do that. I usually come up here with three to four. And so I was only able to get about halfway. We're going to continue the dialogue about this. Um, And so we're talking about um, sexual immorality, sexuality in particular, and our world today. And the truth is these things infiltrate the church. And so I want to teach you, I want to walk you through some of the guardrails and the way God designed our sexuality. But I want us to understand, I want you to, to know this, especially if you're relatively new, um, this teaching comes from a place of love. I want you to know that. And, and sometimes that can be used weird because we think of love like, oh, we just let things go, no big deals, push things under the, the carpet. But love includes truth. And, and I've said before, like last week, if we really love our kids, we create guardrails so that they're safe, so that they're protected, so they can understand how to, to walk out life responsibly. And I feel that same burden of like, look, I, I, I love you, but I love you enough to tell you the truth. And Paul specifically said, when we hear the truth, what it's meant to do is set us free. And I think by helping us understand the parameters and guardrails God designed that we can live out his design for each of our lives. And so we're going to jump in last week, and I encourage you to take notes. But last week we talked about 1 Corinthians 6, Genesis 2, and Matthew chapter 19 when it comes to sexuality. Today, 
We're going to be in Genesis 1, uh, Romans chapter 12, and I'm going to refer to a bunch of other places, so I do encourage you maybe to take notes if you're on your phone or got a pen there or something to write on. Uh, but uh, the world that we live in, we hear the word individualism, and it refers back to the message from last week, but there's a real warning in that because what happens is the younger you are and you hear phrases like you know, self-actualization or being self-made or self-expression and self-fulfillment, the younger you are, the more you're like, they're, they're the words, that's our culture, whatever. The older you get, the more those might bring some alarm bells, some orange flags, red flags. And the deal is this. When we live to the nth degree towards self-expression and individualization or individualism, then it becomes really a worship of self. And that's where you begin to get this word idolatry, that it's about me, myself, and I, and our culture talking about like, hey, I can do what I want, when I want, how I want, because it's my issue, and aren't we all just supposed to be happy? So what I want to do is tackle a couple of key questions that our culture puts as pinnacle, as priority, and so the church may not feel this way, but these things infiltrate the church, uh, and I want to be clear about it. So the two questions I want to tackle, where do our bodies come from? And how do I be happy or how can I be happy? And again, you go, come on, I, I'm a follower of Jesus. I know some of these answers. Bear with me because the hope is this helps you walk through conversations, maybe with people that you care about, maybe with family members that, that you have conversations with. And again, it comes out of a place of love that, that Jesus, you know, John three sixteen, the most basic verse in scripture, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. God loves this world as people and we're called to, but love includes truth. So I want to walk this out in a way that brings some clarity. First question, where do our bodies come from? Our culture and the evolutionary idea of, of you know, where we come from is that, that we're sort of you know, in an evolutionary process and similar to sort of Darwinism, that this idea that, that our bodies are separate from our identity. And because we're evolving, all kinds of things are okay because we're experimenting and new things come along and we're different than, you know, or the society, the world, the culture, humankind is different than it used to be. And in fact, yes, it's Darwinian, but it didn't start with Darwin. This is really ancient Gnosticism. If you want to spell that in your notes, it starts with a G, G-N-O-S-T-I-C-I-S-M, Gnosticism, spelling bee, you're welcome. Anyway, um, but it's ancient Gnosticism, and, and Gnosticism was kind of the general idea that knowledge will give us all of our answers, and as we learn knowledge-wise about stuff, what we learn is there's a God out there that sort of maybe created us, or, or some higher power, that, that there's life that, that you know, came along, but we're kind of stuck onto this planet, and, and just whatever happens, happens, and things evolve, and we all used to be animals, and before that we were you know, fish, or maybe amoebas, or you know, whatever else, and, and so here we are today. It's not new, but here's the thing. If that were true, I can totally understand why we sort of go, hey, we can separate ourselves or our souls from our bodies. It, that, that, you know, what I mentioned last week, anything really goes. There isn't necessarily a plumb line for any boundaries. Let's just explore everything. Why not? That's, that's where, in particular in our day, the word transgender and the transgender movement relies on understanding things this way. Because what they want is the separation of sex and gender. The question comes up in our world, you know, what is a woman or what is a man? And how do you answer that? Because you're about to get, you know, pigeonholed or painted in a corner based on your answer. Our culture would say you can separate if we're simply 
evolving apart from a God who cares, a designer who's involved, then guess what? Sex and sexual expression are evolving. Therefore, we can do what we want. It's all just part of the process, and exploration is wonderful. That's the cultural view. Now, the scriptural view, again, we can sort of take for granted, but you've got to build theology around what we read in scripture. And we take the, the Bible, and there's another conversation about, you know, where we come from, or, or excuse me, where the scriptures come from. But, but in Genesis chapter 1, it talks about this whole, you know, creation element and, and, you know, sky and land and sun and moon and stars, all this stuff and plants and animals and fish and all this stuff. And you get to the end of Genesis and there's some unique phrases I want you to hone in on in verses 26 and 27. But it specifically says God created mankind, male and female, and specifically in his Image. The reason I bring this up as the beginning of our guardrails for our sexuality is creation of nature is different than creation of mankind. That, that, that first of all, we are created in the image of God. There's a reflection in who we were created to be that points people to a designer creator that does care and is involved. The other part of it is there's a biological distinction between male and female. And there are some in the room that go, I can't believe we're even having to have this conversation. Isn't it obvious? But honestly, in our world that wants to debate it, they want to make it not obvious or allow the rules to change so we can sort of be in flex depending on where we're at, what we believe or how we feel, maybe any given day. What we learn in Scripture and what many of us as followers of Christ believe is that we are gloriously connected in God's image and our body is connected to our soul. There isn't a separation like that. If you're taking notes, you can write down Psalm 63 verse 1, but it says, My soul thirsts and my body faints for you Oh God. God created us with an interwoven body and soul. What we know or what we believe is that our body came from God. So from Genesis chapter 1, fast forward then to Psalm 139, and it's one of my favorite psalms. You can write that down, but it says that you and I were fearfully and wonderfully made, that God knit us together in our mama's womb. That's how we were created. There was an intentionality. There's an individualism to who you are and how you're created, and it is wonderful and amazing. Jesus came to pursue us in our brokenness because he cares about the issue of sin and what it does to our body and our soul. The Holy Spirit, Paul said, and I talked about this last week, the Holy Spirit dwells inside of us. We could take it for granted like that's not a big deal, but it is a big deal. And remember last week from 1 Corinthians 6, Paul said you don't take your body physically and unite it with a prostitute because there's a union there that is not meant to be. When you and I open up the doors of romantic relationships sexually in ways that God didn't intend, it unites us in ways that God doesn't want because we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And again, you can go back and listen to last week's message about some of those details. When it comes to the end of time and the return of Christ and, and, and new heaven and new earth, the scriptures also teach us that we'll get new bodies. Over and over, when you see this idea of you and I as a body and soul together, what you see is God placing a high view on each one of us. 
a high view of humanity and a high view of our body. Science would say that, that you and I have 30 trillion cells all working together, and we would add to that by a designer who put us together miraculously. So where did we come from? Where did our bodies come from? From what we read in Scripture, we were created by God who loves us and has a purpose for us. So the second question in our world that everyone seems to be pining for is, how can I be happy? And you go back to, well, it's my own self-expression. It's my own individualism. It's my own world and my own thing, and I can do whatever I want. And the culture leans towards do what feels right. That's not new to any of us in the room, probably, but when you think of, as I mentioned, from the 1960s and 70s in our world, the sexual revolution, free love, make love, not war, all of these ideas go back to what I already said, what I want, when I want, with whom I want, however I want, because it's free love and that's a healthy, wonderful, grand thing. Do what feels right. Same-sex attraction. I have this thing in me and I'm a biological male, but gosh, I really you know, want this individual and they're male and that's how I feel. And so that must be what I explore in the direction I go because that's how I feel. Go, go towards something like lust and pornography, extramarital affairs, adultery. And there are moments where that's how the person felt or they began to look at their marriage and go, isn't fun anymore. Sparks don't seem to be flying. We're incompatible. It's old hat. I just don't enjoy that. But boy, this person over at the workplace, boy, this person online, boy, this app as I swipe a certain direction will open up a door and boy, I could go enjoy that. I mean, come on. It's, it's this feeling, this thing. I got to be happy. This isn't happy anymore. That would make me happy. And we do this all the time and we see it in our world all the time. You have groups of people today that are called furries, and maybe you know this, maybe you don't, but people that begin to identify as animals. Go back to the evolutionary process. If we're all just animals and we're all evolving, then they're actually right. They got it nailed. Perfect. So we can be cats or, or, or dogs or animals of some sort, and that's okay, and we wear the ears and we put on the tail and we wander around society, and that is a group of people that is saying, this is okay, this is who I am, this is how I feel, this is how I express how I feel. And then, as I mentioned already, gender dysphoria. I'm a biological male, but gosh, I don't feel like that. I, I feel feminine, I feel like a woman. I feel, so something must need to change, and, and that's what will make me happy because I'm stuck in this body. I can't be happy. Some of you have heard the name Leah Thomas. Leah Thomas, um, as a biological male, which they are, was a swimmer. But as a male swimmer, they were 400 and something in the world and not getting any, any accolades really until they decided, gosh, I feel like a woman. I'm going to go ahead and identify that way and I'm going to swim as a woman. And now number one in the world and received an award last year aside from the ribbons of first place in swim meets, but woman of the year. If that's not insulting to women, I don't know what is. I mean, I'm sorry, but that to me feels very insulting. And, and I realize you might get frustrated that I even said that. But at the end of the day, in being interviewed about who this person is, at the core, their response was, I want to be happy. So you have all of this going on, and our culture says that's what matters. You've got to figure out how to make yourself happy. And it leans into how we feel. But here's the problem. Our feelings deceive us. If you're taking notes, write down Jeremiah 17, verse 9. 
Jeremiah says, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure, who can understand it? And it's meant to be a humanly rhetorical question. And I say it that way intentionally. Humanly rhetorical meaning the answer is no one. The answer is at the end of the day, I can't always understand why there are certain urges within me that are not good. I can't understand why I feel this way one day and that way the next. And we all deal with that on one level or another. I've said before, how many of us in this room that have been married for decades would be married for decades if we always live by how we feel? Now, next question, how many of us would be guilty of murder if we live by how we feel? <laughs> Don't, that was not, keep your hands down. I should have qualified that. Do not, now I got to call that in and deal with stuff, but, but, but seriously, if you and I just lived by how we feel on any given day, what would we be guilty of? Marriage is one example. But, but think about like anybody out there ever seen somebody you, you have a friendship with or a neighbor of yours that, that, that bought something real nice and you're like, ooh, that's awesome. And you're more than celebrating. You're like, I want one. It's called envy. Anybody ever struggle with jealousy? They get that and that's amazing. And oh man, how come they get to have, we, all these things that come up. Anybody out there ever deal with, with road rage? I've, I've seen it before. Um, I've observed uh, road rage before. Um, I've been a perpetrator of road rage before. I honestly, like, I am not really proud of that. But I remember uh, a few years ago, I was on I-5 between Marysville and Everett, and there's Dagmar's, the, the, the boat area, and you're on the freeway. It's a pretty straight stretch. And, and there was kind of traffic, so you're going maybe 45, 55, so it's not crazy. But, and there was a couple of cars having fun with each other, right, cutting each other off, brake checking and stuff. And I watched it in my rear view, and they kind of came up alongside, and they kept doing it. And at one point, one of the cars, in, in their desire to get angry with one another, ended up fishtailing on the freeway, and you might notice, might not notice this, but there's an embankment on the right side as you're heading towards Everett that's about 10, 15 feet down, and there is a ditch, and this car fishtails back and forth, flips over, lands upside down in this ditch, and there's water. So a couple of us, like, pull over. We watch the whole thing. We pull over, and we scramble down the bank and just try to get the person out, thinking if they're going to drown or, or whatever. At the same time, the other car that was in the road rage moment pulled over too. And I thought, maybe they're going to help. I don't know. They come down the embankment and start cussing out the other person in the car. I'm like, of all the things. Like, is now really the time, right? Like, never kick a man when he's down. Like, when's a better time, right? So where well, I literally grabbed this guy and I pulled him over. I said, now is not the time to do this. I don't know what you guys are up to, but this is completely inappropriate. The person's injured. They're upside down. There's water. We're trying to get them unbuckled. Of course, nobody, you know, the police, nobody was there yet. I yelled at him and said, get up there, go up there. And I think they had gotten their car and drove away and got away with it anyways. But my, my point is like, oh, good job. Way to be a hero. Was that really worth it? Is that really worth it? And in the day that we live in, how many people are now starting to pull firearms during road rage, like, oh, that's awesome. Totally worth it. What would you and I be guilty of? How many days or weeks or months or years in jail would you be doing right now if you just lived by how you feel? How many people would you have punched, right? I mean, we don't, we can't live there. 
And yet our world talks about like, but if it feels good, there are moments where I'm positive it would feel good to punch someone. And you're like, you're the, get me fired. I get it. I'm human. But I feel sometimes that way, especially like mess with my kids, right? There's just something, but we don't live by how we feel. The first sentence, Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Rhetorical, human rhetorical, nobody can. But the answer is in, in, in the Lord. The next verse, I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind. So let, let me take you to Romans for a minute. And, and uh, Romans is a systematic theology book. That's a fancy way of saying you read chapter one and chapter two builds on chapter one. Chapter three builds on two and so on and so on. And, and so it's a systematic understanding of where we came from, what's going on, what God did, all this stuff. So in Romans one, Paul had never been to Rome yet when he writes this. He wanted to go there, but there was already a church there. He was excited about it. He had heard some things and wrote them a letter. At first, he opens up in Romans 1, praise God, you're doing good. I'm so glad you're there. Keep going. That's great. And then he takes this left-hand turn by saying, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all of the godlessness and the wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. Since the beginning of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from that which is made so that mankind is without excuse. In short, all of that says God is always revealing himself to everybody all over the place all the time. But, and then he takes a turn, we suppress it by our own sin, by our own idolatry, by our own wickedness, and including our sexuality. So he says, but their foolish hearts were darkened. And over and over in chapter one, it's going to say, therefore, because they wouldn't deal with it, they wouldn't acknowledge God, because they wouldn't repent, they were given over to things. And he talks about idolatry and he talks about sexual immorality in Romans chapter one. In idolatry, he says they make images made to look like the birds of the air and humans and fish, all this stuff. And, and they, they're given to idolatry because God gave them over because their hearts were hard. And then he says, and God gave them over to a darkened heart so that women uh, uh, dismissed natural relations with men and, and were enraged with lust for other women. And men did the exact same thing. And men were enraged with lust for one another and did what should not be done. God gave them over. And so the whole, the whole last part of this chapter talks about what, what the, this twisting because of hard hearts and they're excusing things that were not permitted by God and his design for us sexually. And then chapter two and chapter three and four is gonna go into, okay, there's brokenness and now it's gonna build. And then in chapter two, he begins to talk about what God did through Abraham. And then he begins to talk about, as you continue on, um, the first Adam and the brokenness and sin and then the second Adam, which is Jesus and, and the healing and forgiveness and all that's found. And then as you get towards like chapter uh, five, God's grace and, and justifying us through faith. And then chapter six and seven, and eight. In chapter six, bear with me, he talks about um, the struggle with sin. And he says, you're dead to sin. Don't live it any longer. Offer your bodies to God. Surrender yourself to him. You have urges, things you want to do. Surrender that stuff. You're dead to the old pattern. And then chapter seven. And in chapter seven, he talks about like, there's things you want to do, but you shouldn't do, but you feel like you should do, but you don't want to do, but you do, and all this. And I'll come back to that in a second. Chapter eight, we're justified by what God has done in Christ and, and, and we have new life and we got to live surrendered to the spirit. And chapter nine and 10, some logistics in the church. You get to chapter 12 
And it starts out, therefore, and my teacher in theology would teach us, anytime you see the word therefore, you ask, what is it therefore? Meaning there's something before this that's important to know. Everything I just told you is part of what he's talking about. In light of all that God has done to redeem mankind, in light of all that, that, that Christ is in his sacrifice and death and burial and resurrection, and because God continues to extend grace in our brokenness, in the ways that we trip up and mess up and do the wrong things, in, in the midst of all of that, therefore, in light of God's amazing mercy, offer yourselves as living sacrifices. Offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. That's your spiritual act of worship. Don't conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And I know I've mentioned these are my favorite verses, but I want you to understand something in the conversation about our sexuality and these verses. When your feelings pull you in a way that the Bible wouldn't, wouldn't encourage us to go, and, and we feel this drive to take a step that we probably shouldn't take or we know we shouldn't take, what should we do? In light of all of God's grace and mercy, surrender to him. God, I'm yours. Here's how I feel, but you're bigger than that, God. I'm yours. That's what he asks of us. When we feel whatever we feel that doesn't gel with the right pattern, historically, sociologically, scripturally, we surrender ourselves to God. He says, offer our body to God. And then he says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you'll find, and I'll switch the word happiness with fulfillment. Then you'll find fulfillment. You'll live by the design God created you for. So when you and I navigate a world sexually that pulls us in all kinds of directions based on whatever we might be feeling or believing or thinking or being entertained by, what should we do? God, my body's yours. God, I am yours. I surrender it to you. And I want you to lead me into truth. I want to be transformed by the renewing of my mind. I bring it up and I love those verses because I didn't grow up in church world. And I mentioned last week some of my past and some of the things I used to believe and do and all that kind of stuff. But I needed desperately the transformation by the renewing of my mind. And some of you are in that same boat. Transformation. If, if, you, if a teenage girl goes to a doctor and says, doctor, I'm, I'm, I'm fat, I, I need some help, and the doctor can see, like, look, you're not fat. Does the doctor say, well, let's get you some surgery and cut the stuff off and make you skinnier? No. The doctor says, something's not matching up here that needs to, to help you understand that you're beautiful and amazing where you're at. Let's deal with here. And I would challenge any of us in the same way and there's all kinds of examples of it, but when you talk about sexuality, when there's things that we entertain that don't gel with who we're created to be, God, would you work on the transformation by the renewing of my mind? Because it's in the power of living that way that we find the fulfillment for our lives the way God designed them. And that's the end of the verse. Then you can test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. And I would say the word there succinctly is that's where fulfillment is found. Not necessarily the happiness, but fulfillment is found. Again, in our sexual revolution or, or, or we're staring at screens looking at things that shouldn't be looked at or we're wanting to, to, to maybe change our, our genders or enjoy a same-sex romantic relationship, we've got to be aware, and here's a sentence you might want to write down, it's not just about what we're doing but who we're becoming. It's not just about what we're doing, but about who 
we're becoming. In in a world of, of, of free love and open sex and whatever else, easy way in, easy way out is not genuinely fulfilling. It creates a trail of brokenness. And there are plenty of people that could attest to that if you listen to their stories. In a world where, again, maybe we're watching screens, who are we becoming? Or we're given to things like pornography or we're lust in our minds and our eyes and all this stuff is, is, is going rampant and we're not taking care of it. We're not becoming more loving toward others. We're indulging ourselves. And what happens is we begin to see others as objects to simply fulfill ourselves. That's not healthy. It's not the way God designed it. In fact, I would say we're probably becoming less loving towards others, and it hurts relationships. And if it's not today hurting relationships, it will hurt future relationships. Again, the the transgender movement, the tension between our biological sex and who we think we are in the world says just change it. But gender dysphoria is essentially saying my mind is at war with my body. Who else says that? Paul. Romans 7. Read it. Why is it that I do what I don't want to do? And what I hate, I do. And there's this war within me. It's almost like you could see the the, the red angel and the white angel on the shoulder kind of thing. This war going on. And what is Paul's final answer to it at the end of that section? Thanks be, who will deliver me from this? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. It's that place of surrender. It's what he said in Romans chapter six. It's what Jesus did when he was going to the cross and he's in the garden of Gethsemane. What did he say? I don't want to do this. I don't feel like doing this, but what I want is your will more than mine. Now that's not a gender dysphoria conversation but it's very much a conversation about not living by how we feel, but surrendering ourselves to God's plan for our lives. Because wasn't it Jesus who said to the disciples, life is not about self-fulfillment, but self-denial. Take up your cross and follow me. And so the pattern that we're given, again, you can go from Genesis 1 and 2. You can look at Psalm 63, Psalm 139. There's plenty of other spots, by the way. But you can look at Matthew 19. Jesus talks about sexuality. 1 Corinthians 9, a whole bunch of it. Romans 1, a whole bunch of it. Talks about our sexuality. The second thing to understand scripturally, as we said in Romans 12, 1 and 2, accept that God gave us our bodies and we're to offer it back as a behavioral sacrifice and allow God to renew our minds. If you're looking for a book, there's one by Abigail Abigail Schreier called Irreversible Damage. And again, it's a hard read because it's a tough topic. But do you know that in there, she cites a statistic that says 70% of young people age out of gender dysphoria before they get into their 20s or as they navigate into their 20s, they age out, which is such a shame that we would allow eight and 10 and 12 and 14 and 18 year olds under the roof of our homes to make decisions that they shouldn't be making. And you could say that's so harsh, that's so mean, you're not allowing them to express themselves. And I would simply say this, if you're navigating a relationship in your own family under your roof where somebody within the unit, the family unit, your child says, 
I think I'm a guy or a gal. I think I have this pull or this desire. Do yourself a favor and don't freak out. And don't drop the hammer of, well, here's what we believe in this family. You're not going to live here if you, and I've heard of families doing that, and it's terrible. And I'm not saying we don't have a certain standard or, or the guardrails that God has given us, very much so. But you've got to express a level of compassion in the midst of the conversation to keep the relationship open. There's a pastor that said it this way once, and I love this. If, if, if there's something about sin that makes you angry but doesn't break your heart, we've got work to do. And for all of us to be able to have dialogue, and I would say it, 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 under the roof of my own house, while you're here under this roof, let's not change anything or do anything drastic. Let's just continue to have some conversations. And I would say pray with your child and pray for your child. Or maybe it's a friendship. Or maybe it's a, a cousin or nephew or somebody in your extended family or someone around don't burn the bridge, have the dialogue. But my hope would be in a conversation like this, it at least gives you some, some conversations to have, some ways to talk about this because this is, and you see it, this is front and center. And I believe it's loving to be clear. And there are some in here that you hear what I'm saying and you're, you're, I said it last week, you're angry at me. I disagree, that's terrible. You're suppressing freedom and whatever else. You can make the decisions you want to make and I'm not gonna control your life. I'm not the Lord of your life. I would simply challenge you to go, here's what I think and feel. Here's what I believe. And maybe if it doesn't gel with what you and I read in scripture, challenge yourself to reconsider and surrender yourself physically and mentally, just like Romans 12, surrender it to Jesus. Lord, show me how this works. Show me what this is about because there's way too much damage being done permanently because steps are being taken that should not be taken. Do you know in the UK where they're you know, 10, 15 years ahead of us culturally, that years ago they were prescribing you know, gender block or, or puberty blockers and, and, and gender transition you know, hormone therapy to kids in their teens? And do you know that that clinic in particular is dealing now with a litany of lawsuits because these kids that aged out and are now different can't go back? But that was the advice given them immediately. Oh, you think that? Here, take this stuff and let's change it. It's heartbreaking. And some of it is irreversible. And it ought to break our hearts. It shouldn't make us so angry that we rail against people and express ourselves in a way that shuts down conversations. But it doesn't mean we don't have a standard and the guardrails that God has given us. And it's out of his love for us. And I believe that wholeheartedly. Let me tackle this one last thing, and it's not really a left-hand term, but maybe kind of. There's, there's a question going on in our world right now that is this. Is that group, is that company, is that church, are you as a family, you know, is, are you welcoming and affirming? And I want to answer that as a church and as the pastor of this church very clearly, because I believe it's loving to be clear. We are welcoming of everybody from any background, wherever, whoever, however, religious, I, great, come here. I want you to hear about Jesus and understand what he's designed for us because he cares like crazy. But we're not welcoming and affirming, we're welcoming and transforming for everyone. You could say, that sounds like a cop-out. Are you a politician? I'm not. But that can sound like a cop-out. What I mean is this, in any way that, that our lives don't line up with God's design for us, I believe that we ought to be challenged to be transformed. And that's every single one of us on this journey. There is no one person in this room, you've arrived and you got it all nailed. And so we're absolutely welcoming of everybody and we're transforming. We want you to walk the journey of Jesus. Is gossip okay? No. 
Is unforgiveness okay? No. Is your blinding anger that burns bridges okay? No. Is stealing from your boss okay because you're not getting paid enough? No. Is, is slandering okay? No. But when we talk about sexuality, there's guardrails God has given and there are certain things that are not okay. And we're gonna say it in love, but it's still where we're at. What we want for all of us together is transformation. So that's my answer. We're all walking a journey of transformation. And if you're in this world where you struggle and you, again, there's disagreement, you feel angry or whatever that is, I would encourage you to sit down with any one of our team members and let's just talk. Let's just have some conversations. I, my hope is the last couple of weeks has been at least pretty clear, but not hateful. Because what they want is to, to paint us in a corner of where hate people, where hate speech people. Nah, there's just a certain God, design God has for us. And honestly, man, that's where he wants us to surrender. And that's what I want to lead people to because as a shepherd, that's the way that I feel. Jesus, it's a huge conversation. We're not going to shy away or, or skip it because it's uncomfortable. I just pray your, your work in all of our hearts. And I pray that we would, even as we talk about a back to school bash or an iHeart or, or things that we do all throughout the year to build bridges in our community, that we want to love well and encourage well, but we also want to walk out for all of us your design, your design for our marriages. You're designed for us as parents. You're designed for kids that are growing up in homes and, 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 and all that happens. You're designed for us as grandparents. You're designed as, as people go to work and navigate our community. Jesus, help us live out what you want. But Father, in this conversation about sexuality, there are guardrails and parameters you've designed and we lean into you for that. And while it can be a struggle at times and we all at times feel the pull of something other than what you've designed, Jesus, help us live in surrender and walk a journey of transformation through the renewing of our minds. Holy Spirit, have your way in all of us. In Jesus' name. And everyone said amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Message Podcast. To keep up to date with us, like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, or check us out at our website, grove.church.